we would blast up into the hills and these are very dangerous roads we'd be singing and then our helmets worshiping god and i was like god if we die right now what a brilliant way to go well greetings this is uh, inspired with simon gilbo and i'm really excited it's this is the launch as we're kicking off this new podcast you know i wrestled whether doing a the podcast whether it was a narcissistic and you know there's enough people talking about themselves but actually the whole aim of this podcast is that i've got such a staggeringly brilliant network of mates and i want to tell or, or help them share their stories to a wider audience using the platform we've got and uh, we want to point people towards jesus we want to delve into uh, the highs and the lows of what they've been through and the idea is that it's upbeat and uplifting and uh, yeah, it's going to celebrate perseverance, overcoming, costly faith. There'll be stories of adventure and risk taking that hopefully will stir you as a listener to think uh, and imagine new possibilities. So what's funny is that I suppose because it's the first one, I thought I'd introduce myself or rather get one of my best, best buddies, Ed Walker, to interview me. And so the first, pos- first podcast will be me. And then uh, next week I will interview Ed. So that is the plan. And to give you a bit of context on Ed, I mean, he'll tell more of his story next week, but uh, I first met him, we were both early 20s, a couple of years younger than me, out in Burundi. And uh, uh, just just one funny story to kick us off was that I was, by the way, hello, Ed, you there? Can you hear us? Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm here. So before I hand over to you, buddy, um, I was just reminiscing with a time when I had death threats and uh, we... uh, ducked out of the country you hired a car off your colleague Pascal I think it was and we blasted off to Uganda just to get out of the country I, it was a heavy time for me I had, I'd had a guy show up at my house with a grenade to blow me up he'd written me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes I was, I was I was trying to play it cool but I suppose I was uh, vaguely uh but traumatized is definitely too strong but it wasn't wasn't good so it was like let's get out of the country for a week and so we went through Burundi through Rwanda into Uganda and we were in Cassisi Hospital at uh, in this guest house, and and during the night I woke up screaming, and my dear loving pastoral brother Eddie went, "Oh, shut up, you muppet! Go back to sleep." And <laughs> that's a classic memory for me. Anyway, I am I am trusting you to be a bit more sort of pastory sensitive now, Ed, as we launch into this. So I'm literally going to hand over to you. Take it away, buddy. Great, thanks. Well, it's great to be here. It's a great privilege to interview you and. Uh, uh, many people know Simon, many people know of Simon, and uh, I've had the privilege to, to get to know the real Simon a little bit, warts, farts and all, and uh, th- there is quite a lot behind the, uh, I, th- I, found, I find you honestly, Simon, a very authentic man, I, I believe what you say is joined up to who you are, to how you act, um, but it'd be good to sort of delve a bit behind for others, a bit behind the, the face that we see. So let's let's go back into your childhood. Uh, give us a quick potted history of you as a young scamp. Okay, well, I was, and most people wouldn't know this at all, but I was, well, I was born in Sussex, spent the first three years there. Then my dad was a businessman working uh, in oil. So we went off to Algeria, had three years in Algeria. And then we moved to Paris, had six years in France. And that was just great because in God's providence, uh, you know, I went into a French school. I was more French than English when I was 10 years old. So uh, we came back to England because, well, my, my English was suffering, really. I was I was good at spoken, but I was rubbish at written English. And I came back to boarding school in England, thrived, loved sports. So boarding school is great for that. And they put it slightly twistedly overemphasis on sports. And I excelled in that way. So I was the beneficiary of that slightly twisted um, sort of value system. And, yeah, really thrived at school. And um, in terms of my journey with Jesus, I suppose my mum was my biggest influence and she sort of uh, thrust me, well, she forced me actually pretty much age 15, I think it was, to go off on this Christian camp, scripture union. I didn't want to go. And she like said, look, Simon, we'll, I'll make you go once and I'll never make you go again. So I went there and I, I came back and said, I'm going every Easter and summer for the rest of my life. I absolutely loved it. And I suppose that was where I was in, introduced to a fun, adventurous Jesus, as opposed to sort of slightly wooden, uh, tame, domesticated Jesus. Not that that's what who my mum believed in, but um, that is kind of how I had seen it. And uh, I didn't have any sort of uh, bright, bright flashing lights or anything, but it was just a gradual thing between that and the school Christian union week by week that sort of saw me uh, gradually grow in my faith, I suppose. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, as you say that, I'm hearing public school, I'm hearing camps, and I have now an association with those camps as something quite dark because we've heard a number of stories of abuses from those camps recently. I've never asked you this, but what's your take on all that? Yeah, well, I mean, I can say hand on heart, I never had a sniff of absolutely anything untoward or dodgy. So um, it was a very isolated, uh, I mean, yeah, this is not time to get into it. Very serious Mm. stuff did happen, didn't happen on camp. uh, But uh, there were some people that did some really bad dark stuff that um, is still being dealt with um, and quite publicly. but my my camp experience was uniformly positive, I have to say. I think that's a really helpful point for us to remember, isn't it? And obviously you've you've talked a little bit about how you sort of came to faith, if you want to use those terms. Uh, Presumably it was all plain sailing after that. Talk us through how your faith developed from those mid-teenage years. Well, I was an interesting character at school because, as I I said, I was good at sports. I was captain of the major sports that I played. uh, And I kind of looked out for the weaker people and the losers whilst also being a, a bit of a bully to others so very conflicted and that even would come down to sort of being a leader of the christian union but also having a little drugs ring on the side and uh, so i was very sort of compromised witness i think i'd come back from camps each summer or each easter and be on fire for a couple of weeks and then go back to getting hammered at the weekends and my brief you know exposures to uh the the um the fairer sex as in i was at an all boys school so it wasn't easy to line that up but when it did happen it tended to be uh pretty um you know unsavory and not very god honoring if you like so yeah i was i was, I was a mixed witness for me the, the big breakthrough came so I, I did come to faith and i i say looking back probably in a sort of osmosisy way uh when i was 15 but when i was 18 i i then went off on a year out and um I went and thankfully my old man had busted me for, for drugs before going. So uh, as we drove away from my school, I went to Boston for Harrow in London. As we drove away, he said to me, Simon, honestly, tell me now, how often do you do drugs? And <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, sort of sheepishly, oh, about once a month. And he said, oh, don't try to invent some spurious argument to justify yourself. And I didn't know what spurious meant. But anyway, he, it was his best bit of parenting. He made me feel really stupid. Um, and actually I sort of finished off my gear that afternoon and then nailed that issue. I say that because it's really important because I then went off to South Africa. I was teaching in the middle of nowhere with a, um, at a, as a Sutu uh, farm school. I was living by myself. I'm an extreme extrovert and it was so miserable and lonely, uh, compounded by the fact that I didn't have any job satisfaction because it was teaching in a third language and it just wasn't working. Um, and if I hadn't nailed the drugs issue, I think I, w- I would have just got caned every day. I mean, because uh, I, was, I was lonely, I was bored. Uh, and it was almost like 18 years old. And by the way, uh, no one else followed me. I was like the guinea pig of the operation. I said, don't you dare send anyone else out there because um, they, they, won't, they won't last. It was, it was a very tough experience. I pulled through because of faith, pure and simply. I, I know that. Mm. But it was almost like uh, I was at a crossroads and I felt two choices. Either get holy or compromise and sleep with the farm women and, you know, AIDS is rampant, that sort of thing. But there was nothing else to do. I was on my own. I mean, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was on a game farm. I had baboons tearing down my my heart. I looked out at sort of zebras and kudu and wildebeest. And so it was gorgeous, but I was alone. And I used to long for the weekend because I was bored during school days. And at school, I got to the weekend, I'd be, oh my goodness, I'm not going to see anyone for two whole days. And so it was just, I used to have three baths a day at the weekends just because, all right, I'm bored now. I haven't got nothing to do. All right, I'll have another bath. You know, it was that lonely. So it's either get holy or compromise and sleep with the farm. And I thank God that I chose the former path and I had really powerful, I think I'd been, um, the Holy Spirit from those camps had uh, definitely played third fiddle, which I suppose he's meant to, uh, but it was almost fourth fiddle after the Bible. Mm. Uh, And... um, I've never expressed it in those words, actually, but um, I, I, I was lent the farm truck, Bucky, once a week to drive 40 minutes to the nearest town. And I, by God's providence, uh, didn't find the Anglican church, which I was looking forward because I was meant to be Anglican. I ended up outside this little Presbyterian church with this 80-year-old couple. I was late trying to find the, 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 the right church, the Anglican church. And I said, well, why didn't you come in with us? And they were Kay and Roy Hector. Still remember them. They took me in. I, <laughs> I was sweaty in my shorts, completely inappropriately dressed. And uh, it was a lovely 
interracial fellowship. I was introduced to uh, the Holy Spirit um, and, and, and had powerful encounters which have shaped the rest of my life. So it didn't make the rest of seven months, which felt like seven years in South Africa, any easier. But I'd had a, a deeper encounter with Christ, which was, was very powerful and set me in good stead for when I came back to, to university. Yeah, I just think that must be so encouraging for so many people to hear because you're, you're now a father with teenage children. Uh, we, we look at you and assume it was all straightforward uh, and it wasn't. It wasn't overnight either. Your discipleship took time. And I think also God takes us into the tough places, doesn't he? The solitude, the wilderness. And that was all part of your formation, uh, which, as you said, in his providence, he no doubt sort of was understanding what he was doing. Um, so you went to university then. Talk us through your university experience. Yes, well, uh, I went to Loughborough University. Just just on the on the, the finishing off the school stuff, it, I, I haven't got my report in front of me now. But to encourage uh, parents, and and I need encouraging myself because even last night we met up with <laughs> with another um, family or well, the parents to discuss our teenage boys' slightly wayward behaviour. So this is very topical. But I I got this report which was just unbelievably awful. It was so crafted nowadays teachers can't write these reports but it, it went along the lines of in 28 years of teaching i have never met such an arrogant self-absorbed lazy boy i have never had to write a report like this and he like splurged just character assassination and, and i did put both that on facebook once and a bunch of mums said oh thank you simon oh you turned out okay there's hope for my child so yeah so anyway i went to i went to loughborough university again for my sports loved it was um was partying in the best sense. I was out there in bars and clubs, um, evangelizing and uh, dancing, last man standing. Um, I remember, you know, I'd be out dancing two, three times a week. And I, I, was, I was like, I'm never going to stop doing this, which is funny because now I can't do anything worse than the thought of being five hours dancing in a nightclub. Uh, but yeah, just really out there, um, seeing lots of my friends come to know Jesus. Um, I had, I, I don't want to call it a Mickey Mouse degree, but it was very few hours, which which meant that I could, you know, I sometimes turned up exams and people didn't know I was on the course. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I got very involved with a scripture, with a um, Christian union. I sort of chaired under the mission committee. We did a big uh, campus-wide outreach. But, you know, even in then, to be fully transparent, I ended up um, actually in a bungee jump queue meeting this girl who and she was a real babe and I was like oh, I wish she was a believer and I saw her the next week in church so you know I was really excited about that we ended up going out and yeah we ended up um just completely compromised I ended up loving her more than God and uh yeah I do stuff I deeply regret to this day I mean uh, you know we're, we're, it's all grace isn't it so that slate is is wiped clean but um, it it stops me it's humbling because that stops me ever uh judging other people when they fall sexually because because mm. i could i was full on for jesus but i was also uh, taken out on that level and it was very damaging uh and yeah we got through that but it was an, it was 15 months in a way of being taken out now what was interesting was that i was studying languages french and politics as well as sorry french and german as well as politics and so i for the third year i just ducked out of university for the year i went off off grid which with their blessing and why go i already spoke french fluently anyway so why go to france and be at a university there when i could go to the central african republic jungle so that's what i did um i went to the central african republic jungle uh with an incredible uh brother called anatole and i lived with him this pentecostal pastor i got my first major exposure to witchcraft and, you know, I mean, for example, that's what that's one thing that Africa's got to teach us in the West, you know, because we've got such a sort of materialistic worldview and a secular worldview. So we're not even as followers of Jesus. Often people aren't attuned to the spiritual battle going on. But, you know, when you're when you're there and there's witchcrafty stuff in the morning around the house that people have been directing at you. Or I remember being in the jungle one time at a visiting a, a, diff, a different uh, bunch, a group. And I woke up during the night and felt this oppressive fear. Uh, and I said, be gone in Jesus name and went back to sleep. And the next morning uh, when I had breakfast with the guys, there, they said, did, Hey, did you sleep well? Cause no one sleeps well on their first night here. Cause there's so much witch directed at the base and, and they're not used to the spiritual atmosphere. So uh, uh, all sorts of, I mean, utterly crazy stuff. I don't share some of the stories from, from those times now because they're so nuts that even Christians that even read about crazy stuff in the Bible struggle to believe. 
Um, and But I came back very broken from that. I only lasted two months, came back with malaria, maybe dysentery, but it was worth it. It was very formative. And the second part of my year was going to um, Germany. And again, why to go to German university when you could go to Hamburg's red light district to work with the Salvation Army of Tramps and uh, alcoholics and that sort of stuff. And that was just very different because it was a very evil street but where it, where it wasn't recognized as evil. It was considered entertainment. You know, it was a tourist attraction, massive sexual tourist trade. But, you know, in conversation with the little girl, she starts sort of shaking her hand up and down and, 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 and laughing and the little Turkish girl. And why are you doing that? And she's, she said, that's what I do. I jack off men in the back, back alleys for 50p or one Deutschmark, whatever it was. Uh, and, and, and so sick depravity there mm-hmm. and much harder because whereas in Africa seeing loads of you know obvious people turning to Christ and, and lots of miracles there much harder uh, much more aggressively anti we do street outreach I'd, I got punched and kicked and spat at and and not all the time those are the highlights obviously but but uh, you know brilliant frontline stuff I love what the Salvation Army did well, that's that's great to hear, Simon, and thanks for sharing with that. And as you look back on that now, I can see so much of that, how God's used all that to form you into your experiences in Burundi. And for, for listeners who don't know Simon well, I'll just pick up on a couple of threads. When I first went to Burundi, uh, there were these expat parties with NGO workers and so on, and they would be dancing there. And Simon felt it was right. It was right for Simon culturally never to be seen to be dancing because that wasn't considered to do the right thing to do but he would be gagging to dance and every now and then he'd let rip for about 10 seconds and then <laughs> come off the dance floor and the second thing i'd say is i have actually worked a couple of times in central african republic myself uh, and i met that pastor who simon referenced there and he spoke incredibly highly of simon even though he was just there for a short period of time so simon clearly had an impact there as well so that's great you've kind of taken us through your childhood your university experiences and uh, post-university, talk us through, how did you get from university to Burundi? Well, I, I knew I didn't want to get a normal job for the long term, but I also wanted to understand, you know, the sort of temptations, trials, pressures of a nine-to-five type job. And so I, <laughs> I, I didn't deserve this job even, but I got, I got a good job um, in a marketing agency. And um, I was a business development executive. And it was, uh, I knew it was going to be long because actually I had planned to drive a truck to Kenya, as you do. Um, so I was just there for a short time and it was, it was, it was, um, it was okay. But um, I was like, I am so not made to be stuck behind a desk. And, uh, and, and I'd already started giving talks at schools and universities and just seen significant responses. So I knew that was a gift to be, nurtured so I did enjoy being in this office I mean there were three of us lads and 20 odd ladies and uh, I was the only one not you know um, I mean a a few are married but the others were absolutely like rabbits with each other and I was you know trying to march the beat of a different drum so it was interesting facing that kind of culture and they 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 really enjoyed me and they when I left they sort of well we they shaved my hair off completely and gave me 500 quid for that to go completely bald that's another story but um I I I I knew it was not what I was to do long term so I was glad to to get out of that anyway drove a truck to Kenya 15 countries Uh, at the end of that we left this and I mean, that we could do a whole podcast and the stories coming out of that because it was superb. But at the end of that time, we left the truck, which was the overall mission with a guy in Kenya who's reaching to the Borana people group between Kenya and uh, Ethiopia. And then I jumped on a matatu uh, with my cousin Debs, who I think I'll do a podcast on her because she's got a great story. And uh, we came across uh, through Kenya, Uganda to Rwanda to my granny and aunt who were there. And and spent two months with them. During that time, I jumped on another matatu and came down to Burundi. Rwanda and Burundi used to be one country called Rwanda-Burundi until 1962. And I wanted to go to Burundi because that's where my great-grandfather was buried. So I think people in general know me for, for as the Burundi man or my association with Burundi. But uh, you know, there, it wasn't, as I will share in a second, how I got called to Burundi. Uh, there was a family link there. So my great-grandfather died there in 1940. 19- 41 uh, and then my um my grandparents were the first bazungu the first whites to be married in 
uh, Burundi, and they spent most of their time in, in Rwanda, actually. So anyway, lots of family context. Uh, and I wanted to see the grave. And then I left Burundi and thought, well, I'll never be back in Burundi. It's a sort of Christianized nation. I want to go to an underreached people group. And I really felt the Lord had called me to Cambodia. So I came back and I went to Cambodia and I absolutely hated it. I got Jardia. If you go to Cambodia in April, the, the guidebook said, you think you've died and gone to hell. It's so hot. And I just lay there, the sweating Jardia infested mess. And I'm allergic to fish anyway. It's the only fish I can't eat. And that's not their staple dish. So I was like, Lord, flipping out. I'll, I'll go to Cambodia if you want me to, but I really don't want to myself. So I came back to England did a one-year uh, Bible course. And during that one-year Bible course, to, to hone sort of preaching, teaching, expository skills, it's called the Cornhill Training Scheme in London, uh, I was praying, come on, Lord, bring it on. I'm 25 years old, no girl from no strings. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere on the planet. Uh, you just make it clear. I don't want security, I said, because security is a mixed blessing because when we're secure in and of ourselves, we don't need God. So that was the prayer. Anything, anywhere, bring it on. And as the course came to an end, it was the second last day. And I was railing at God because everyone else had their sort of security, their careers lined up or their next job opportunity. And I was like, um, come on, Lord, answer me. And I wasn't getting any answer. And uh, I received a, a, a scribbled piece of paper with a name and a number on it. And and I rang him up and, and they said, this, this guy wants to meet with you. So I, I, I rang out the number and uh, it was... A guy called Robert DeBerry, and he started speaking. So, so he said, Let's meet the next day. So we met up in Bishopsgate in the city, church called St. Helens. I've never met this bloke before. And he said, My name's Robert DeBerry. I've been praying and I believe God sent me to you. And he wants to go to Burundi and be involved in youth and mission and evangelism. So, so my heart's thumping in my chest, thinking, Is this some nut job or is this you, God? And and so I said to him, All right, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll be spiritual about it. And I went back to my job and I was in front of the computer. They're right, God, if that was you. So my job, I didn't say it. They kept it open for me. I went back to it. Um, God, if that were, if that was you and that wasn't some nut job, then that that's mean that's that means I'm gonna have to leave my family. I've got very close family, my 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 friends, my security, my career, um, everything and going to this place uh which is war-torn and dangerous, and and I might get killed and as I said earlier, people did try to kill me. So um, it's going to mean leaving everything. So if that was you, then give me a radical sign right now in front of this computer to justify a radical change of career. And I didn't wait long. I took a phone call and the voice on the other end out of the blue said, you know anyone who wants to go to work in Burundi? And I, bang! I was like, what? So uh, that was my call. And I, you know, I've obviously told that story gazillions, gazillions of times. But I say to people, please don't think you have to have a phone call from God to, to go and do something and to step out in faith. You know, you just got to, got to go for it. We've got to pray bold prayers and, and we're welcomed into the adventure of living that he, that God is calling each one of us to. And you don't have to go to Burundi. We're all made differently, aren't we? We are differently. Some of us are passionate about the arts or media or politics, education, entertainment, whatever it is. But that's where he's called me and it's been an absolute thrill. So yeah, and that, that led to 20 odd years um, of living in country with a few uh, episodes outside. Yeah, I think that's a great for people to hear because I haven't heard you say that story for for many a year now. And just to be reminded of that is still such an encouragement. For those that were listening, actually, I've worked with the brand as well. I've also been to Matana, where Simon's grandfather's grave is. I've seen that. It's a stunning church on a stunning hill in a beautiful part of Brundy. And Simon's family is, when you're there, it's so interwoven with Rwanda and Burundi. And you keep stumbling across parts of his uh sort of relatives or his aunt or his grandma or grandfather and it's it's stunning what they've done there and I guess many people have heard about the hardships you faced or they would have heard about the risks you've taken but you also use the word thrilling and just unpack what was thrilling what was fun what made you alive about being in Burundi oh man I mean a smile comes to my face as I think about it I mean for us it was going down wasn't it it was going down to Lake Tanganyika the beach and and wanging a ball around. We're both sporty. You, you played, uh, didn't you, for uh, Exeter University or British University hockey and, and just bouncing the ball off the water and then a hippo's head popping up 30 yards away. I mean, where do you get to do that, flipping it? 
But also, you know, from from the get go in Burundi, you know, I had virtually nothing. So I wasn't NGO. You were an NGO worker. So I I, 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 I couldn't even afford a motorbike. So I went up the hill and borrowed a, <laughs> an American missionary's bicycle. I'm the only white guy, Muzungu, in the country cycling to a sweaty Ninga near, near the equator in humidity. And uh, it was tough. But with, after a few months uh, in God's providence, I did receive money to, to buy a motorbike. And I went with my Burundian soulmate, Freddie, went to the market for $1, bought matching shades. And then we had blast up into the hills and, you know, Burundi, Rwanda, they're known as the Switzerland of Africa. And we'd be, these are very dangerous roads. Like, uh, again, mm-hmm. the NGOs, you guys would fly often when you, you'd fly over yeah. them in a UN yeah. plane and be dropped off beyond the danger zones. But we would drive through them. And mm-hmm. these are like, it's the busiest artery for business in the country. And you might see you know, three cars in an hour because it was properly dangerous. At one time, 40 people got killed. We we, we, we through, blasted through, and we'd be singing in our helmets, worshipping God. And I was like, God, if we die right now, what a brilliant way to go. Looking at this stunning vista down to Lake Tanganyika or onto the hills and thinking, we are so alive right now. And when we got to wherever we got, you know, people responded it's like flipping out what are you guys doing it no one else is coming so whatever you got to share with us it must be worth listening to and we would preach and, and share jesus and loads of people respond you know it was, it was being able to live the the biblical reality of you know philippians 1 21 where paul the apostle paul writes for me to live is christ to die is gain he says he goes on and says what shall i choose i actually desire to depart and be with christ which is better by far but convinced there's more work for me to do i'll be around a bit longer and so it's like absolute win-win. And, and you know, it, 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 I suppose it was just so black and white and completely raw. And so I was turbocharged and I was so alive and it was like maximizing every day. You know, living in a dangerous uh, place has got many, many perks in terms of heightening your your awareness of what matters. You know, if you think you're going to die next week as basically, particularly from 1999 to 2003, that was how... I lived, you know, each weekend we'd go up country, not each, but, you know, three out of four maybe. And it was a very real possibility of dying. And uh, it was like, you know, if you think you're going to die next week, how are you going to live today? You are going to make it count. You are not going to play whatever on your Xbox for six hours. You're not going to binge watch another box set. You're just like, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to tell people the reason that we're alive. And I'm actually, and I did this. I'm going to write to anyone I've ever hurt and say, I am sorry, and I'm going to want to receive and offer forgiveness. And I'm not going to get excited about a new, an extension on the house or a new carpet fitting, because that is like, that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but it's not got eternity in it. And as C.S. Lewis says, anything which isn't eternal is eternally out of date. So loads of great lessons of being fully alive. You can tell you that question sort of got me, got me going there. And just just to endorse that, I mean, I was there with you in that, that year, 1999, Burundi was declared by the UN as the most dangerous country in the world. And I can still remember the exact names of that the towns on the route that you would go up. And there were people killed every day on that road. And they, they were killed also just from car accidents. It was just a really windy road. Um, and what people won't know is everything Simon says there is absolutely true. Uh, but also when you went around his house, uh, here's a guy who's fluent in English, fluent in French. He's living with some German missionaries and they're speaking in German. So he's fluent in German. And all around his house, he's got verses written out in Kurundi. He's really studying hard the local language. He's learning his testimony in Kurundi so he can reach the local population. So behind all this raz and jazz is someone who's committed to the long term, who's dedicating hard, you know, difficult yards into learning a local language in really trying to spend as much time as possible with the locals you know freddie is a great guy that was referenced there they were really close they were like brothers the two of them bombing up and down the motorbike i occasionally had the thrill of being on that motorbike i can still remember size rippling six packs i held on for dear life <laughs> it was just great fun and um we were, i mean we were two young single men mad for the lord uh, simon really had a big influence on me and of course like two men we were we were we were often thinking about who might be our future wives, and uh, then eventually Simon uh, did meet Lizzie, uh, and she stole his heart. So talk us through that first date and how Lizzie won you over, Simon. Yeah, well, I basically um, was a classic uh, potential case of burnout, and my thankfully my sort of seniors in the UK said you need to come back for a year. So I'd had they, they were the three craziest years of my life. Uh, sort of 98, 9 to 2001, 2. 
Uh, and so I came back to England. I went to All Nations Christian College just north of London. And, uh, you know, I, I'm 29 by this stage, so I'm, I'm definitely up for a wife. Although I hadn't been a uh, sort of obsessive question because I'd lived expecting to die. But back in England, it's like, bring it on, Lord. I'd really love to do this with someone else. And, um, but, you know, day one, in a very shallow sense, I arrived, thought, I looked around, thought, oh, no, there's no one here that sort of gets me, gets the juices going, as it were. Uh, anyway, fast forward to the summer term. And um, there was there was a, a college event, and there were lots of visitors. And um, I I was doing the washing up, um, uh, which has become a more regular feature. But uh, I can't claim to be the most massively servant-hearted person. But uh, this 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 foxy filly came came across to me and said, uh, "Can I help?" And I, I said something. I forget what I said, but it, I, it was to see whether she was feisty or not. She replied, Rawr! and I thought, "Oh wow, she's got." Um, yeah, she's she's got spunk. So I I said, um, oh, do you want to go well, once you finish finish washing up? I said, do you want to go down to the pub for a drink? So so she said, yeah, all right. So I just went around the corner and said, I better ask if anyone else wants to come. And I went around and sort of whispered, does anyone want to come? No good. And I <laughs> and I uh, walked down into the village with her. We went to the Jolly Fisherman and Stansted Abbots, and uh, we just laughed our heads off for um, for two hours and. You know, I shared my testimony, and and uh, I think she was quite impressed. But <laughs> early stages, she said, "Wow, you sound you sound a bit like Jim Elliot." Now, for those of you who don't know, Jim Elliot is a guy who died in the Ecuadorian rainforest, speared by the guys who's trying to reach the gospel. He's the one who said, who's known for saying, um, "He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose." So, I've also impressed Lizzie because she says, "Wow, you're a bit like Jim Elliot." Um, I only say this because of how the sort of late, later what transpired. But anyway, at one stage I cracked a, a gag and she she laughed through her nose and some snot flew across and hit me in the face. And I was like, yes, that's my girl. And uh, she is so embarrassed. In fact, I've already broken our, our code of honor. I did tell that at our wedding that you were there too. Uh, and um, she didn't appreciate it. But I'm sorry, Lizzie. Last time I'll never tell that story again. So anyway, as we're wandering back to back up to... Uh, college you know it's probably one in the morning and I, I leant across and tried to kiss her and she pushed me away she said ah oh, you're not like Jim Elliot you're like every other bloke <laughs> so uh, that was a bit of humble pie so all that to say that Lizzie wasn't a pushover at all and I really had to woo her and um, I also had to see her in Burundi before um, you know before proposing to her so she came out that Christmas I'd gone back to Burundi she came out at Christmas and uh, within minutes of landing, I thought, yeah, she can fit in here. But she had been, she came from a damaged context. She'd, she'd been in Nepal for two years. So she'd experienced bombing with the Maoist insurrection there. But she'd come back damaged because uh, her situation had been really rough out there. So she, funny enough, she'd come back to England saying, I just want a normal life. I'm going to buy a house and get a normal job like all my mates. And then we met. So uh, that's why she took some wooing. But uh, I was so glad that she joined me in the adventure. And, uh, and uh, she's you know, brought so much, so much blessing into my life, obviously not least with Zach, Grace and Josiah, our three delightful and uh, rambunctious children. And for anyone that has any sense of who Simon is, you know that Lizzie has to be an extraordinarily uh, crazy and wonderful woman. And when Si first told me that snot story, sorry to reference that again, Lizzie, I just thought, well, this is the one. This is the one. Um, and just going back to Simon, when, when, when I first met him in 99, he was on that... Uh, push bike with his knobbly knees flashing for all to see. He was usually sunburned and uh, he had nothing. He really had nothing. And then I had the privilege, I think I visited three times. I took uh, my wife and daughter to Brundy when Zach had just been born and I visited uh, certainly once after. The thing that struck me, and this is what I don't think you always get from his emails, is he tells you some great story or some massive need, which is really important, is how he built from nothing what I think is an incredible range of, if you want to use the word, outputs or projects or sustainable uh, in stuff that is still going and genuinely transforming lives. It's not just the gospel isn't just about evangelism. Simon is an evangelist, but it is joined up. It is holistic. So, sorry, just give us do a bit of boasting. Glow support some of the highlights of what Glow supports: the orphanages, the hospitals, the uh, clinics that you've run, uh, the, the stuff that no one can argue with. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's been an incredible journey because. Um... You know, who is it? Someone wrote, don't 
overestimate what you can do in one year, but don't underestimate what you can do in 10. And by God's grace, I'm looking back now on 20 years. Uh, see, sometimes in the, in, when, we, when we're stuck in, a, in the moment, we just think we're surrounded, we're not seeing much progress. But actually, as you look back uh, on a longer periods of time, you can see what the law's done. Because, you know, those they, they were tough yards, you know, starting out without any money, uh, and uh, just slowly coming alongside different people. So I initially worked with Script Union. Script Union's got a great vision. It was bankrupt at the time. Uh, in fact, literally from the first weekend, we went up country and we had four breakdowns on the most dangerous road in the world. And I thought, I'm going to die the first weekend. And I came back, just railed at God, said, Lord, come on, Lord, help us to get out of debt in a vehicle that works. We, we, we missed one of the two days of evangelism because of that. And I pictured X amount of dollars coming in in a month. That sum came in, as well as a check made out for the vehicle, the five grand, they were just, uh, my God, will meet all your, not all your wants, but all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. That's Philippians 4 verse 19. And so it's humble beginnings of Scripture Union. And then Glow was birthed, so the charity we ended up setting up called Great Lakes Outreach was birthed out of an email that I I sent um, in 2002 saying, guys, I'm just feeling overwhelmed here. I'm involved in this orphanage and that school and campus outreach and engagement with Muslims and scripture union and youth for Christ. And these are informal stuff. And I'm just feeling crushed. There's so many needs. And the response to that was about a hundred of my mates sending in 50 quid, 30 quid, uh, you know, 15 quid a month. And, and, and I became, I got too much money. (laughs) Nice problem to have. Um, for an individual and so even my mission organization said can you set up your own thing so we set up great lakes Archery with their blessing also i become an al-qaeda suspect because i i think twice i took out 76 or 78 thousand dollars in my fanny pack or my bum bag and um and so i was a stereotypical profile of an al-qaeda mule you know 100 people giving small sums onto one account and then taking out this massive stash of cash so once you know we got we got these fishy calls from the government saying who the heck are you are you kosher and once they established i was vaguely kosher they said look can you be please be more transparent and accountable that was the birth of glow so glow then became and if i i'm, I'm getting around to answer your question but glow became our strapline now i could I, I could articulate it as identifying empowering and equipping the best local leaders of passion integrity gifting and vision for the transformation of the nation bottom up and top down so it's almost like now the, the the strength I had of being out there, the, the the nice position, the advantage I had was that I could just observe what people are doing and think, wow, this guy's incredible and he's worth backing and, and that guy is useless and he's getting all the support and that's so wrong. And, and so channeling resources to the right people. I mean, there weren't much financial resources back then, but obviously that's grown substantially. And so... You know, Freddie, I've mentioned, he was my soulmate. He he ended up starting Youth for Christ. Fast forward 20 years, he's built, we built, we've helped build four schools. Each school is the top school in its province. It's the brand of schooling in the country. Uh, the, the flagship school, Gitega International Academy, is the first school credited to send kids to American University. It's excellence in Jesus' name. It's completely transformational. It's absolutely beautiful. Scripture Union, we end up multiplying, doing different offices around the country, another school with them. This group called Harvest Initiatives, we reached the unreached people group there in terms of coming alongside incarnationally and sharing the gospel with them. The Batwa Pygmies had had a life expectancy of 27 before we engaged with them. And now just empirically, so, so few people are dying because they're being lifted out of poverty. We'd agriculture and a cow project, teaching better farming methodologies, land advocacy rights, um, street kids project. So, you know, in terms of transforming the nation bottom up and top down, one of our key guys it's a guy called Dieudonné, and he, for 23 years together, we journeyed. Um, he, he ran the street, street Kids Project called New Generation, which is also an entrepreneurial training program and all sorts in the mix. But he then handed that over, and then in the, in the last year actually stood as an independent candidate for the presidency. So that was, look, bottom up and top down, completely illustrated. Uh, theological training, uh, water sanitation. We're currently building um, a hospital project. Uh, engagement with the fast-growing Muslim community in different ways. I mean, I, I I can't cover it all. Microfinance is the new thing that really excites me. Signing up with a, this other group that's got 97% uh, repayment success rate and lifting people out of poverty. Each each of those 90,000, the average, uh, they're employing between two and seven people each. Oh, it's so beautiful. So, you know, we're trying to reach the last, the lost, the least. It's in word and deed. It's holistic. I've got a superb team. 
Great. Well, just I want to endorse everything Simon has said there, and it's so inspiring to go and see this. I've met Freddie. He's on a motorbike with Simon. He is now running these schools. I had a great Christmas with Giordani, uh, with street kids on the beach and giving them a wonderful Christmas lunch. And now he's ran for president. So you can see these people Simon's invested in really becoming and growing into leaders. You hear stories of someone he knew from birth who's now uh, a wonderful lady of the Lord. You hear stories of someone who um, uh, he heard preach once and is now a, a leading politician. And so the, the fruits of, of this is so multiple and in so many different um, angles and ways and that their outputs that no one can argue with. And also, I really love Simon's empowering approach. He lets go. He allows leaders to take on responsibility. So just tell us who is the national director now for Burundi and why have you been able to step away from living in the country? Oh, honestly, sometimes I, I sort of pinch myself, think, Lord, you you have been so good because it, there came a stage when we were going to need to leave the country. Um, my eldest was struggling at the school. There were very limited educational opportunities. And so we needed to address that. Now, five years before that, I had asked, I had identified this extraordinary, and I mean that, that is extraordinary. I describe him as the most amazing man I've ever met, this guy called Anesfor, who will definitely do a podcast with him. And I'd asked him if he'd be willing to take over GLOW. Now, he already ran this thriving group called Harvest Initiatives. And so in the natural, why would he leave this stunning organization that he's involved in? But um, there was a five-year game plan. So five years later, when I'm like, will you take it on? What had happened during that time was a pastor who had five children, all of them were, you know, real, really um, unruly and far from God. And Anesfor during that time had led four out of the five of them back to the Lord and into leadership positions in the church. Now, that pastor, if you're a dad, you're going to be seriously grateful there, aren't you? So this pastor decided to fast for 40 days to say, thank you, Lord, for Anesfor, what you've done for me. And would you give me a message for Anesfor to bless him? So 40 days later, you know, exhausted and, and wasted, he, he, he calls in an S4, says, look, the Lord's given me two messages, two words for you. The first thing is that you are to leave what you are doing. And, you know, in the natural, that didn't make sense because he is running this thriving organization. The second thing, and the context is he didn't know who I was. The second thing is that he has given you a twin to change the nation with whose name is Simon. Bang! So, so the Lord could not have spoken more clearly. And we both were like, because Anesfor had been reticent because he's like, no, I'm a pioneer. I don't want to work for anyone else. But now he's come alongside utter soulmate. And, you know, he, I'm not being disingenuous when I say he's way more impressive than me. He, he genuinely is. He studied as a lawyer. So he's got that forensic attention to detail. And then the Lord nailed him. And he never practiced law. He started this indigenous movement. He, he rocked it together through Harvest Initiatives. We've had 15 years. We sent out uh, 700 evangelists a year for two weeks and summer outreach. This is probably the most exciting thing we, we've done together. And we reckon we saw 170,000 people come to Jesus through that outreach with demons being cast out, witch doctors bound, the knee, cripples being healed, blind seeing, all sorts of crazy New, New, New Testament, actually apostles type stuff. So this is Anesipal and uh, he is the man who has taken over from me. And honestly, he's taken things from strength to strength to a completely new level. I'm so grateful. Yeah, great. I, and having, I don't know when I saw well, but I think he's a great yin to your yang. I think he's, his strength seemed to me to be really blend with yours. And there's a really strong trusting relationship that's built up over many years. Um, the other thing I like about GLOW is it's low on overhead. So, you know, if you're giving to GLOW, it's gonna reach the front line. Um, two more questions then, because we're sadly running out of time. I've not even been able to ask you about the conference centre, so bad luck if you're interested in that. Uh, a quick reflection on some of the lessons you've learned, the tough times, things you might do differently. Um, and But behind the mask, let's, let's get to the really honest um, reflections on some of that. Um, I mean, I had... Uh, plenty of dark times in the mix. Uh, the, the the biggest personally came uh, to my, coming to mind was two two years of chronic fatigue or whatever it was, uh, where I was laid low. But even then, that, the Lord redeemed that time because that's when I wrote uh, my daily devotional, uh, Choose Life, which has been massively used. You know, tens of thousands of people are reading that every day. So 
but it was it was dark. I was like, Lord, am I going to be always, always like this for the rest of my life? You know, two years isn't forever, but it was a long time. So that was dark. Being betrayed by people, being slandered, having uh, my sig- signature forged in the early days and a uh, bank account wiped out for our Muslim outreach organisation. It decimated that organisation. Uh, watching the abuses and the, the corruption and exposing some of that and then nearly paying for that with my life and uh, and then resolving that actually my senior said look that's not your that's not your battle to fight um disillusionment with uh, other christians i mean uh, you know i'm not disillusioned with afghan brothers and sisters in my context brunian ones because you know a lot of them they have been through such a living hell and it's so hard for them to still I mean, that's what's amazing, isn't it? You've had your wife raped or your kids killed and you've still got faith. That is so challenging. Uh, but a lot of very broken people, probably with PTSD going around. So I, I shouldn't be uh, that surprised or discouraged or disillusioned by them. But lots of disillusions through what the, the Western world does, uh, does be it development badly or or what Christians do and in the name of Jesus. And so sometimes it's like, oh, let's just chuck it all in. Um, I haven't had the sort of faith that has had profound doubts. The Lord's revealed himself so constantly and regularly, clearly. So that would be one. Uh, I've got a great woman. So we haven't had, I mean, us, the tensions or stresses in our marriage would more have come from the stresses of when the, you know, I, I like in a completely imbalanced way was, was I would take the, the weight of Burundi's future on my own shoulders. And it's like, Hey, God has got that covered. That is not yours to carry Simon. But sometimes, you know, when, when uh, there was some really bad stuff going on, I was like, this is so wrong. And I, I was, you know, taking it too much. I mean, I, I, I cry a lot, uh, but it's healthy tears. And I think if I didn't cry, there'd be a lot bottled up in there that would really be really bad. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's, 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 we, we, we're just fickle duffers, aren't we, trying to give it our best shot. And, mm. and uh, I, I, I'm grateful. I've, I picked up a few scars, but, you know, we can settle for bumper stickers and, and slogans or we can embrace scars. And, uh, mm. you know, anyone listening, whatever you're going through, if you, you know, Jesus didn't say it's going to be easy. One of those ambushes, uh, and I thought I'd die in an ambush. In one of those ambushes, a guy, a whole bunch of them were killed, but one guy got a bullet through his face and his face shattered and he got, he survived. And he's one of the lucky ones on one level to, to get to multiple, well, sponsorship through an NGO to get multiple reconstructive plastic surgery operations and mm. and um he can't speak anymore but his eyes sparkle and, and he took a piece of pen and paper and he wrote this god never promised us an easy journey just mm. a safe arrival and so mm. hang on in there if you're going through a rough time and i've had plenty of sucker punches in the mix but uh, my testimony is that jesus is worth it all he gave it all and he says lay it all down if you're going to come after me you must deny yourself take up your cross daily and follow me and he is so utterly worth it he is the pearl of great price yeah can i just say it so uh, i was really moved when you shared that just a sense of disillusionment and also strangely encouraged because i think we can hear you speak or read your books and we can feel inadequate or in awe of what you do and the reality close up at one stage you used to share your diary with some of us every every single day virtually is it's been treacle after difficulty after challenge after heart-wrenching problem to solve and that has been simon's reality alongside these incredible stories of hope and uh movement of the lord so thank you for sharing that you're now back in the uk i've just got two questions really one, I, I remember when I only had a daughter out overseas in Africa for, for 18 months, but when I moved back to England, obviously many things were a lot easier, but also I really missed part of the life that I was giving her and grieved what she would no longer get. So the first question is, what, what are you missing for, for your children? What are you grieving for them? And then the second and final question is, talk us through your new life. Uh, what excites you now? I think that's quite easy to answer because coming back now, uh, we're just bombarded with social media and good internet access, which is a very mixed blessing because when you can't really log download things, uh, you're spared a lot of uh, rubbish, aren't you? But um, yes, and and there's so many mental health issues. Not that ours, thank God, are struggling in that area, but uh, the pressures to conform. It's also a life stage thing as they enter their teens. It's just a whole lot harder to keep them engaged. But out there was the open spaces, the, the 
the, the sheer sort of innocence. Mm. I say that whilst they probably wouldn't have known that, you know, a few hundred yards away people were being tortured or whatever. And there's lots of bad stuff going on, but they had a really nice outdoor life. And, uh, and we just uh, looked back with great fondness, you know, notwithstanding the fact that I actually knelt down when we left on the airport tarmac before getting on the plane and just screamed or roared out in gratitude. Lord, thank you that we got through without them uh, being traumatized, anything really heavy. They did have a few, a few things, but uh, you know, we've had psychiatric evaluation. They're not traumatized or anything. So deep gratitude for that chapter. And it's, it's much harder. This culture is so obviously broken over here, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and some people see the brokenness in it and some people don't. I think a lot of us parents are just struggling to think, how can we keep our kids uh, on the straight and narrow making good choices? So that's a new challenge. And to answer your second question, what excites me when we're back here? We're now living in Bath and, uh, you know, this is my new patch and I'm passionate for the city, for unity of the body in the city, of getting alongside other leaders, encouraging them of when it's not locked down, of bombing around the country, speaking at universities, schools, any kind of context trying to stir up the body. Uh, I'm still running our charity, which amazing over lockdown, we've grown 35% in terms of revenue. So just because we've got so many good stories to tell and such great things going on and so i'm very excited still about being all in and i'm trying to challenge myself to remain sharp so some of that has involved uh, taking teams out of the streets to, to share jesus we've had some great stories from that that's keeping yeah keeping myself stepping out of my comfort zone i'm on my street here got 85 houses loving them inviting them around to stuff um, praying each day six to seven in the morning uh, blessing on each family and uh, yeah, this is where he's put us. So live in the here and now. I miss Burundi. I, the plan is in general to be out there three times a year. But uh, there's a lot to live for. So yeah, really excited about that. Well, listen, let's call it a day. Let me just say, please, guys, you can help me. This is the first podcast. I'd love it uh, if you would. So it's Inspired with Simon Gilbo. And it, can you subscribe to this now to stay up to date with the next one? Ed's got a phenomenal story to share next week. And so, and could you give us a five-star rating wherever you're subscribed, you know, on, uh, on Apple or iTunes, whatever, that sort of thing. That is how you'll help us. And the point is, in this podcast, I want to brag about Jesus. I want to brag about my friends and what they're doing. I want them to be able to tell their story and just to stir up faith and encouragement and challenge. I mean, what's not to like? There's so much crud and depression and grimness out there. And we want to bring, bring hope and meaning and purpose. So again, I just think that, that, that that's why we're doing it. And uh, I'd love you, your backing. So Ed, we'll call it a day there. Thanks so much, mate. And uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Yeah, thanks loads. God bless you too.